Hello, hello. You are listening to a new episode of A Pastor in His Newspaper, a podcast helping you read the news with the Bible in your hand. My name is Dr. Castro. We have many things to discuss going on in the world today. So let's not delay and get to reading the news with the Bible in your hand. And before we get to our our news piece this today, this afternoon, uh, awesome uh, weekend coming up with Duke versus North Carolina in the Final Four. Coach K's uh, final year gets his team to the Final Four. It's crazy that Duke and North Carolina, one of the most historic rivalries in all of sports, they've never played against each other in the NCAA tournament. So this is happening in the final four. So this is really cool. Uh, I know a lot of people will be watching that game um, and uh, have some friends coming in town this weekend. And me and the husband may go see Batman because we haven't seen that yet. So uh, a lot of cool things uh, in store for, for many people. Uh, no Formula One uh, this weekend. I've gotten into Formula One uh, racing uh, due to the Netflix show. And uh, so they will not be racing this weekend. So uh, a weekend off from watching that. My McLaren team has been really struggling and uh, have not been doing well. Haven't scored. I don't think they've even scored a point yet. Uh, Ferrari is doing unbelievable. And uh, that's been a big surprise. And, of course, Red Bull is right there. And Mercedes has also been struggling. So uh, if you've been or you're listening to this and you are not a Formula One fan, you're like, who in America likes Formula One? A lot of Americans like Formula One, actually. And uh, it's a growing sport, um, spectator sport amongst Americans because of the Netflix show and uh, announcement just uh, actually yesterday uh, there will be a race in the city of Las Vegas next year actually they're adding a new race to the United States this year in Miami but there will be an actual city circuit race on the strip uh, coming in 2023 so uh, that is really cool should be cool to watch I think it's going to be under the lights so uh, that's going to be a pretty hot ticket. So if you've ever been interested in going to a Formula One race, it's very expensive. I looked into it and uh, so kind of on my bucket list. But um, so just kind of uh, uh, just kind of sharing with you a little bit of my passions and my likes um, as you have gotten to, to know me a little bit and my interest in politics and, and, and the things going on in the world. Um, but uh, also a Formula One fan. So, uh, but let's get into the reason why you're listening, which is news that is that is happening in the world. And we're coming back to uh, Ukraine. I know last last week I kind of took a break from that and talked about St. Peter's and their Cinderella run. And actually, just to kind of fill you in about the St. Peter's peacocks in new jersey jersey seed new jersey they actually made it to the elite eight um the first 15 seed to ever make the elite eight um and uh there's a lot of power five or one of the bigger conferences there's a lot of power five conference te- uh, schools have never made it to the elite eight but yet the saint peter's peacocks made it but they also north carolina uh in the elite eight but uh and their coach Immediately after that uh, loss, took a job at his alma mater at Seton Hall. So uh, he's on to bigger and better things. But uh, so we're going to come back to the this kind of uh, five week long story about the Ukraine and the war that is happening between the Ukrainians and Russia. Russia obviously, and I would say unlawfully invaded uh, the nation of Ukraine. 
And one of the byproducts with any war is refugees. And, uh, you know, in January, you had millions of people living their lives in the Ukraine. And all of a sudden, in February, many are trying to flee the country. Um, news reports out this morning that uh, the refugee count is topped at 4 million. Um, actually, the, the thought, recent talks of peace in Ukraine, there was a peace talks between Russian and Ukrainian delegation in that met in Istanbul. Uh, it seemed to be that there may have been uh, hope, hope in those conversations and those talks, but uh, as of today, it seems that uh, those peace talks have evaporated um, as Russia increased shelling of targets around Kiev in the eastern portions of the country this week. Um, uh, Kremlin spokesman Dmitriev Perkov Perkov said on Tuesday, no one said that the side have made headway. We can't point to anything particularly promising. Uh, Also, uh, reports coming out this week that NATO estimates that Russia has lost as much as one-fifth of its combat forces so far. Uh, Numbers are as high as 15,000 Russian troops have been killed. The United States says that that number is probably closer to 7,000 um, uh, Russian, Russian troops that have been killed in the Ukraine. Uh, Russians have, NATO has also said that Russians might have lost about 10% of its military equipment so far. Um, and so you would think based off those numbers, which are pretty humiliating numbers, I think the Russians believe that, that their modern and second largest military in the world would just kind of roll over the Ukrainians, but that has not been proven true um, because of weapons that have flooded into Ukraine from the West. Uh, Russians have, uh, it seems to have been very, uh, have not, did not organize um, uh, this invasion all that well. And so they have been stuck in certain portions of Ukraine because of the weather. Uh, so their supply chain or their reinforcement chain and supply chain has definitely uh, has been weakened by the Ukrainian military. So you would think the Russians, by this humiliation at the hands of the Ukrainians, would make would make you think that they would want uh, a quick resolution, a quick kind of ceasing of this war. However, Russians have recently began stalling, uh, shelling uh, cities in the southeast portion of Ukraine. Uh, this has isolated um uh, the residents in this area, they're unable to get food, water, and medicine into these areas of Ukraine because of Russian shelling. So um, the, the war has continued, um, and it doesn't seem like there's much hope uh, of any type of resolution as of right now. Um, in the meantime, people continue to flood out of the cities and towns and villages throughout uh, Ukraine. The number of people, again, fleeing has exceeded 4 million. Uh, this migration of people is the largest movement of people in Europe since World War II. So this is, it's been over 70 years since this many uh, Europeans have been migrating across the continent. Uh, 10.5 million have been displaced since the beginning of the war in Ukraine. Uh, this is meaning that people have been since, in, in some ways uprooted from their lives in one area to flee to safety either within Ukraine or forced outside. So you have, yeah, 4 million refugees that are leaving the country, but you have another over 6 million that have left their homes, uh, left their places of, of work and are now finding, moving to other parts of the country as well. 
where maybe they have um, uh, they have family or relatives living. Um, but many it says as 12 million more Ukrainians are still trapped um, in the cities that they live in with little source of exit, which means that in certain areas of Ukraine, if they're unable to leave, that that means that they are um, under the threat of obviously being uh, killed by Russian aggression, by Russian shelling. And also they have very little source of food, water or medicine. 12 million more Ukrainians, like I said, are trapped. Uh, of the 4 million that have escaped Ukraine, most of those are women and children. Uh, Ukraine has forced men of fighting age from leaving the country. So again, not only do you have 4 million Ukrainians leaving the country and looking for refuge in other countries in Europe, but they're also, it's men and women, women and children doing it without their husbands, without their, without, without uh, their fathers, um, due to the law that Ukrainian fighting age men have to stay to fight. Others uh, of these refugees, uh, many have gone to Poland. 2.4 million refugees from Ukraine have migrated to the neighboring country, Poland. Some others have traveled to Hungary, Moldova, Slovakia, and Romania. Uh, the EU has granted Ukrainian refugees refugees the right to live and work in the, bloc of the, of the European bloc for up to three years. Uh, President Biden pledged this week that the U.S. would accept up to 100,000 Ukrainians fleeing the war. Um, and obviously the U.S. could possibly do more than that. Um, and because one of the issues that uh, the European Union is finding out is that once they leave Ukraine, many Ukrainians are hoping to migrate to other countries and actually even get further away from Eastern Europe, moving into the West, either into France, Germany, um, Great Britain, and some of them maybe even to the United States or Canada, especially if they have family that live in the United States. So as we think about this issue of refugees, uh, obviously, there was a massive amount of refugees and migrants leaving uh, the Middle East during uh, not only had the Gulf War in the early 2000s, but especially in the uh, civil war in Syria in the 2014-2015, where a lot of them were migrating to Western Europe. And obviously, there's been a massive uh, crisis at the U.S. border with people trying to leave parts of uh, Central America to to work um, in the United States. And I believe as, as, as a way of application to kind of connect this back to God's word and to the church, um, God's people, are, I believe, are instruments of God's mission to restore broken humanity to himself through compassionate actions. I believe that God has raised up his church to be his instrument of compassion, on, especially on refugees. When we... <laughs> think through this I and mean, we think about connecting what is going on in Ukraine and the refugee uh, crisis in the Ukraine. How do we connect that to God's word and, and to the, the actions and thoughts of Christians in the church here in America? I believe God's people are instruments of God's mission to restore broken humanity, humanity to himself through compassionate actions. And one of the issues that has kind of come about over the last several years is nationalism, especially racial nationalism, and in some ways of of basically stating that certain races are inferior to others. In, in America, racial nationalism actually emerged in the 1890s as a response to the widening inequality between unregulated corporations 
and investment houses and ordinary workers and small farmers. The advocates for racial nationalism use xenophobia, xenophobic appeals to lobby Congress to bar all Chinese and most Japanese workers from immigrating to the United States. The Workmen's Party of California uh, cried, Our moneyed men have rallied under the banner of her millionaires, the bankers and the land monopolists, the railroad kings and the false politicians to erect erect their purpose. The bloated aristocrats, aristocrats rakes the slums of Asia to find the meanest slaves on earth, the Chinese coolie, and import him here to meet the free Americans in the labor market. And still... Further, widening the branch between the rich and the poor, so further to degrade white labor. They banished the slogan, the Chinese must go. The WPC won control of San Francisco and several smaller cities and played a major role in rewriting California's constitution to exclude the Chinese. In 1882, the WPC convinced Congress to pass the Chinese Exclusion Act, which was the first in U.S. history to bar members of a specific nationality from entering the country. Two decades later, they pressured Congress to ban all Japanese immigrants. Many white workers called Japanese immigrants spies for their country's emperor. During World War II, such attitudes helped legitimize the federal government's forced relocation of some 112,000 Japanese Americans. The Ku Klux Klan in the mid-1920s helped push Congress to pass strict annual quota limiting immigrants from Eastern and Southern Europe to a few hundred per nation in 1924. In the last several years, you've heard politicians talk about America first, as if in some ways blocking refugees or immigrants from other nations from America is because American needs are more important than the needs of certain people from around the world, uh, their issues. And so, as Christians in America, can we agree with an American first mentality? If Christ is the center of the church, can we blindly watch the mistreatment and neglect of refugees and immigrants? Is God's mission to redeem the injustice of our world? I mean, aren't we called to show compassion to those in need, to refugees, to migrants, to orphans, uh, to widows around the world? Human-centered Christianity is not Christianity. God has redeemed His church through His through the power of the cross of Christ. We, we have been redeemed and purified by the power of the Spirit of God to be a people united in Jesus Christ. Jesus is our cornerstone. He is our Lord. He is our head, our King. Too many Christians have bought into the me-first philosophy. My personal health and prosperity is my chief concern. My focus is myself, my security, my possessions. To hell with the millions around the world who are lost and dying because of poverty, oppression, and violence. The church must be compassionate as God is compassionate. And I think we have to think not just simply in evangelism terms, but also acts of compassion. How can we show compassion to those in need? How can we actually share the love of Christ to those in need? And I think as a a way of, of understanding or foundational understanding of who God is, it's important in this topic and issue, is how, who is God and how is we as God's people ought to act to those in need. If we look at Psalms chapter 68, verses 4 and 5, Sing to God, sing praises to His name. Lift up a song to Him who rides through the deserts. 
His name is the Lord. Exalt before him. Father of the fatherless, protector of widows, is God in his holy habitation. The psalmist here is King David, and he who is king of Israel says that God is the father of the fatherless, protector of widows. And I think as an understanding of who God is, and also thinking of, of how he saved us, he gave us his son, Jesus Christ, to save us from our sins. And we are his people. And we are called uh, to show that same compassion on others. We are a people that have been transformed by God through the cross. And we are to be imitators of God, uh, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, who give justice to the weak and the fatherless, who rescues the weak and the needy, deliver them from the hands of the wicked. God is compassionate. We as his people should be compassionate. James 1 says that true religion religion are those who visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Jesus says in Matthew 25 that as you did to the least of these, my brothers, you did also to me. That's how we'll know that we are faithful to God and how we love those, the least of these and amongst us. And we know that the cross is a symbol of God's power, symbol of his love, symbol of of his redemption, his concern for sinners. We know that God, uh, who sent his son, Jesus, the son of God, humbled himself on the cross to save and redeem us. So the cross is is, is the symbol of God's power and his redemption. It's also a symbol of his care for sinners his care for those who are rebels those who are broken those who are in need and so as we think about refugees in ukraine as we think about that from across the pond here in the united states we we have to break as the church we have to not be sucked into this me first mentality this what my needs are more important than the needs of others. We cannot have a xenophobic mindset. We cannot have a, let's separate ourselves from the hurting of the world. God's power, which transformed us through the cross, also calls us out and sends us out to share that same love with the world. When we think about what will God do through this, this war in, in the Ukraine. We're already seeing 4 million refugees leave Ukraine, and many of them hopefully will make their way back to the Ukraine after this conflict is over, whenever that will be. But others are migrating deeper into Europe. Others will be coming to the United States. We may see more Ukrainians in our community. And we have to think about how are we going to minister to them? How are we going to care for them? How are we going to share the love of Christ to them? How are we going to be as we see here in the Psalm 68, God is a father to the fatherless, uh, protector of the of the widows. How can we be protectors? How can we be those who care for those who are misplaced or have been uprooted from their home and now living in a place that's not their home? Um, how can we care for them? How can we invite them into into our communities. I think it's a really important uh, thought and questions that we as a church should think about even right now 
we most of I mean Biden just mentioned that there's only they're, they're committing to a hundred thousand right now. That number probably will grow over the coming months and maybe even years. And we may see more Ukrainians in our community. And we may see more refugees from other parts of the world. This will not be the last conflict that we see. We already had the, the Syrian civil war, which I mentioned just seven years ago. The, more conflicts are going to arise. More refugees are going to have to flee their homes to find safety and shelter in other places. And this is an opportunity for us, again, to minister to those in need. One of the issues with Israel is that they were commanded in God's law in, in Exodus, actually 22, to remember what they once were in Egypt. They were refugees. They were sojourners in a land that was not their own. And they were commanded by God to remember what they once were, that God rescued them from that situation, and not to forget that situation so that when there are people from other nations that have to find shelter in Israel, that they would be cared for, they would be served, they would be watched over, that they would be provided for. And by that, that it would show the greatness of who God was, showing uh, them who that Yahweh was a God of mercy and a God of grace and a God of steadfast love and a God that who was faithful to his people and to his promises. And this would draw them to know God and to be um, united with God. This is an opportunity for us to show the love of Christ. You know, one of the the issues of, 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 of the empires of the past, it was similar with Egypt, with Israel, and, and, and the Romans and the Greeks and the Persians, is this super, superiority complex amongst those of power and wealth. And America is a nation of power and wealth. And we can, in some ways, fall in the same mindset that these empires in the past did by thinking we are superior, that we are better, that we are more intelligent, that we are more powerful, that we are wiser. It's only by God's blessing that we have what we have. It's only by God's blessing that we have the security and the wealth that we have. But it should humble us. It should actually remind us that it comes from God, and therefore we do not deserve it, nor do we uh, own it, but that we should use it as a way of caring and serving others, as Israel was commanded to do. And so let's let's pray about how we can think about the refugees that will will that will come to our doors in the coming years, from maybe not from the Ukraine, maybe from other parts of the world. Maybe if the Chinese do invade Taiwan, we'll see a large group of uh, Taiwanese refugees in the United States. Maybe other conflicts in other parts of the world will lead to refugees coming to the United States, looking for shelter, looking for hope and security and being provided for. And we as the church can provide. We can, we can care for them. We can love them. We can invite them. And we can obviously share the love of Christ. And that is the bigger point here is as we share love, as we share mercy to those who are weak and fatherless, who are refugees, we share the, the, the love that we as, as, as Christians do not deserve what God provides, that it was giving out of the abundance of his heart, that he has shown us grace, and that we want to show that same grace to others. And that would, that would, uh, that would reveal who God is and that would um, uh, draw people to God and his saving grace. And so um, 
again, we as God's people can be instruments. We can be instruments of God's mission to restore broken humanity to himself through compassion and acts. And, and as we pray, as we pray about Ukraine, as we pray in our churches for Ukraine, as we think about the Ukrainian people, and we, and we pray that God would bring an end to this conflict. Um, but as this conflict still rages and as people flee this country, as, as people flee other parts of Eastern Europe because there's a f- fear that Russia will not end with Ukraine, and as these people are, mis- are uprooted um, and displaced from their homes as they travel across Europe and parts of the U.S. and Canada and other parts of the world, as they come to our communities, we are prepared to minister to them, to care for them, because we've been praying about it. This has been on our hearts. We have been united in prayer over this issue, and we as God's people are willing and able to care for the fatherless, to care for the widows, to care for those in need, to care for the refugees that have come to our community. We are not coming with a a spirit of superiority. We're not coming with a me-first mentality. We come with a servant heart, a caring heart, a heart of compassion, the same heart that Christ had when he looked over the the people of Israel as a a people without a shepherd, and he had compassion on them, and he actually led him to feed them and care for their needs. We should do the same. So as we continue to look at the news with the Bible in our hand, and this is, is the way that we look at these issues and not just look at them and shake our head or look at these issues and go, oh boy, what, what can we do? We can think about and we can pray about together how God could use us to be places of refuge for those without homes. And so thank you so much for listening to a pastor in his newspaper. If you've enjoyed what you've listened to, share this podcast on your social media channels. I would appreciate it. We'll be back next week with a new episode of A Pastor in His Newspaper, helping you to read the news with the Bible in your hand. Enjoy the Final Four this weekend. Enjoy the games. Enjoy the wonderful weather wherever you are listening to this. Enjoy this spring weather that has now come upon us. And I hope that your family is healthy and well. We'll see you next week.